0: Welcome back everyone to the Health Policy Checkup. My name is Abby Lindsay and I'll be your host today. I'm a graduate student at the University of Michigan and a member of the HIPSA Advocacy Committee. I'm also a registered nurse and spent three years working in a medical ICU. At the bedside, I witnessed the impact not having insurance or being underinsured had on my patients. It was all too common for my patients to postpone necessary care and forego preventative care, making once manageable conditions unmanageable. And leaving us healthcare workers powerless to save them. Witnessing these inequities in our current system invigorated me to learn more about Medicare for All. So, in today's episode, we'll interview a proud advocate for Medicare for All to learn how Medicare for All works, how it differs from other proposals, and how we as students can get involved. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to our guest today, Dr. Abdul Al Sayed. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Dr. Abdul Al sayed I'm a physician and epidemiologist by training. Now, I work mainly at the intersection between policy, politics, advocacy, uh, and public health. And um, that takes the form of hosting a podcast called America Dissected, writing a newsletter called The Incision. Uh, I've written a couple of books, one called Healing Politics, Diagnosing an Epidemic of Insecurity, uh, another on Medicare for All. Um, and teaching uh, at the University of Michigan as a policymaker-in-residence at the Ford School.
0: Well, thank you for being here. We're excited to have you on the pod. I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with these topics, but Dr. could you please explain Medicare for All to us in your terms to set the stage for our conversation?
1: Yeah, well, let me just offer a perspective on how our current healthcare system operates. You uh, oftentimes think of yourself as a customer, but... Um, Usually, let's say, you know, I went to a green market to buy some kohlrabi uh, and I talked to the artisan who grew the kohlrabi. I might negotiate a price for that kohlrabi. And then once we've agreed on a price, I hand over a certain payment in tender. They give me a certain amount of kohlrabi and that's a usual customer experience. In American healthcare, most of the time, if you are uh, insured, whether you're insured by your employer and a for-profit insurance company, Uh, that your employer has uh, selected, or you're insured by Medicaid, which is a program for low-income Americans, or Medicare, which is a program for seniors, Um, what happens is that should you need health care, you get your health care, your insurer gets billed, and your insurer then pays tender for uh, your health care. And if you think about that, um, given our analogy to Kohlrabi, Uh, you are not necessarily the customer. You are not the one paying tender for your healthcare. Rather, you're the reason that uh, that payment in tender was delivered. And that makes you more the kohlrabi than uh, the customer. And the complexity in our system is that there are uh, hundreds of uh, insurance companies. Each of them has its own overhead. Each of them negotiates its own rates, enforces a certain level of inefficiency in terms of billing uh, in our system. What Medicare for All would do is rather than you having to uh, get your insurance through your employer or through Medicare or Medicaid, there would be one central government insurance program for everyone. It would be uh, everyone's insurer, no matter how old you are, whether you turn 26, which is a reason why people lose their parents' insurance or get married or get divorced, which is another reason people lose their insurance, or you lose your job uh, or you don't have a job, you're going to be insured. And, um, and so that's called a single payer. Remember, the payment tender, it comes from your insurance to your uh, provider. And, um, and, and and that single payer is now the government. It is your insurer. Uh, it also addresses a lot of that inefficiency in the healthcare system, uh, which is imposed by all of the different rates that are negotiated inside. And so Medicare for All is a name for single payer health insurance, where uh, we leverage Medicare, Medicare, which is a government health insurance program. Uh, we improve it and we extend it to everybody, hence Medicare for All.
0: Thank you. So you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what would the average consumer expect to change under the Medicare for All plan?
1: Well, uh, rather than having to watch your paycheck garnished by a for-profit health insurance company, uh, you would instead pay a tax every two weeks or month, um, and you would be insured through the federal government, just like people who are on Medicare. If you lose your job, right, if you uh, get married, if you, your kid turns 26, um, if you turn 65, nothing fundamentally changes about your health insurance. The overall cost of care uh, would go down. The amount that is paid, that is taken out of your paycheck uh, in the form of taxes rather than in the form of, uh, of, of premiums. Uh, would be lower, and there would not be uh, out of pocket costs at the point of care in terms of copays and deductibles, deductibles being the in effect paywall that you have to pay in order to get access to the health insurance you already paid for uh, in a premium. And so your health care uh, health insurance would be more durable, it would be portable, it would uh, abrogate any out of pocket costs, and the overall costs would be uh, lower. The other important point is that one of the things that health insurers do right now is they police where you can get your health care, what doctor you can see, what hospital system uh, you can see care in. And because Medicare, right, the federal government would be uh, your insurer, no matter who you were, you could see any doctor you chose to see. There is no such thing called in-network or out-of-network. So the experience of being able to see whatever doctor you want actually gets better. Um, Opponents often say that you lose your choice. And what they're talking about is the choice of health insurer. But let's be fair, right? that choice that you make in November in a one-month period between you know, a number of different plans that uh, calculate payment in different ways, that's not really the choice most American want, or Americans want. Most Americans want a choice of what doctors they see, what hospitals they go to, and under Medicare for All, they would have that. So you end up having healthcare that's always there for you, that you can take anywhere, that costs less and doesn't impose out-of-pocket costs.
0: So then President Biden has proposed a public option to try and reach universal health coverage. Can you explain some of the key differences between the public option and Medicare for All for those who might not know?
1: So a public option operates uh, a government health plan that that people can select into. And um, there are a couple of different ways to think about this. One is that in theory, your insurer could choose to insure you through the public plan. That is sort of a wide public option. A narrow public option is if you're not insured through your workplace and you're left to try and buy uh, insurance out of your own pocket, then um, then you would, uh, would potentially go and, and, and purchase a narrow public option uh, on this exchange. But there would be a government health plan that anybody in theory could select into. Now, um, on the one hand, right, depending upon how generous subsidies, government subsidies for this insurance, government insurance plan are, um, you could imagine it being substantially less expensive and potentially competing with uh, with, with the, the, the private plans. Um, but there is no actual reason why a public option guarantees any universal health coverage. It's just another option that happens to be run by the government. It all depends on how generous uh, that option is. You could imagine a world where it just goes to zero cost for the lowest income people, in which case, potentially, that's the case. There are um, a couple of things that are important to consider about what the public option does not do at the systems level of healthcare. Because at the systems level, one of the most important things that uh, Medicare for all would do as a single payer is it becomes the only buyer of health insurance on behalf of everyone in the public. And that is what we call in economics a monopsony. Everybody knows what a monopoly is. A monopoly is the only uh, seller of a good. A monopsony is the only buyer of a good. And when government is a monopsony, government gets to dictate the cost just like, or dictate the price just like a uh, monopoly can. So um, with a government monopsony in healthcare, uh, there are a lot of ways that costs can be brought down on behalf of everybody in the healthcare system. Uh, Public option cannot achieve that outcome in large part because a public option is just one of many payers. And so it doesn't have that monopsony capacity. Uh, the other aspect is that we've been watching, anybody who you know, lives has lived in a major metro area for more than 10 years has watched as bigger hospitals have gobbled up smaller hospitals and created these mega systems. That's called consolidation. And one of the reasons that hospitals can consolidate is because of the differential rates in reimbursement for healthcare that they can command based on their size. In, uh, in, 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 under Medicare for all, um, the rate is the rate is the rate is the rate. There is no competition on differential rates for the same care. And so it would halt a lot of this consolidation in its tracks. Uh, whereas with a public option, you don't get that simply because the same games get played around reimbursement rates uh, and pricing for healthcare that allow bigger hospitals to command better uh, prices. And one of the reasons that consumers should worry about consolidation is because you can imagine a world where um, you, you just can't travel uh, far enough, fast enough, if you were to have a heart, a heart attack or even something less serious like a broken leg to get to a system that your insurer uh, has um, a, a network deal with. And so you know, consolidation does become an issue. And we generally know that you know, when you end up having a, a monopoly or even an oligopoly, they can change prices in, in, in some um, really exploitative ways. And so uh, the, the the secondary impact of Medicare for All uh, around pricing, price negotiations and consolidation are critical aspects in the in the systems functioning of healthcare, which you don't get with a public option.
0: So I want to try and compare this to Netherlands um, delivery of care in which there's still a universal healthcare system, but they're managed by the government and they're supplemented by private insurers. So all residents are required to purchase health insurance from private insurers, which are required to accept all applicants and financing primarily occurs through the public, through premiums, tax revenues, and government grants. Now, do you think there's a version similar to this that would allow the US to keep their private insurers, um, highly regulate them? Could that be successful?
1: What you're describing is a system where health insurance in effect is treated like a utility, right? It's uh, highly regulated by the government. They operate within a particular uh, scale and um, scope of profits and uh, the product that they offer has to fit within a very clear band it 's very similar to what we do uh, when it comes to electricity and energy generally uh, in America um, you know that system has uh, a certain clear um, linear follow through from what we have right now i uh, I worry about it for for two reasons a um, you look at the utility experience in America and uh, the ways that sometimes consumers get left behind by their utilities because uh, they're, in effect, government mandated um, monopolies. And that, that, that often leaves people um, wanting for better service because there's still a profit motive and a profit margin at, at, at stake here for, for the corporations that operate them. The other is that the political um, uh, effort that it's gonna take to vastly regulate health insurers uh, is just as large as it would be to try and achieve Medicare for all. So part of me says, why would you put in all the effort and only take half the cake, right? Um, I, I think we we have a responsibility to, to try and achieve the best possible outcome. Uh, and to me, the, the best possible functional outcome that we can achieve right now is is Medicare for all. Now a lot of folks will say that's a pipe dream; you're never going to get there. Um, but and, and they'll point to all of the power of uh, major corporations lobbying for their self interest. Well, in a in a world where you are uh, advocating for fundamental regulation of the health insurance industry, but you're sustaining the same health insurance industry with the same capacity to lobby, just like the uh, the the utilities lobby right now. I ask you why you think that's a better potential outcome than, um, than being able to do away with a, uh, a, a, a set of corporations that are fundamentally unnecessary to deliver of healthcare. The other point is this, is you're just basically assenting to whatever those corporations take in profit as an efficiency in the system. And if you know government can do the same exact thing that these corporations can do, why would you pay more so that corporations can continue to exist?
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that point. Um, and so you know i think we've very well established that uh, a public option would still not improve administrative efficiencies and it'd leave healthcare as a product to be sold in the market so then how uh, can you ex- expand on how you think medicare for all fits our cultural context in the u.s better than other universal models like uh, the united kingdom's you know national health service
1: well, look i i lived in the uk for a couple of years when i was a grad student i really appreciated the healthcare experience that I received when I was a student there in some respects um, there is on the back end of Medicare for all a balance that I think may be valuable, which is to say, oftentimes people try and uh, stereotype Medicare for all as a government takeover of healthcare. That's not exactly what that is. It's actually a government takeover of health insurance. The, the delivery of health insurance um, is and remains private. And so uh, uh, practices and hospitals and other service providers uh, remain private. And to that end, when people worry about the potential uh, limitations on innovation um, that uh, that government engagement with healthcare could impose, um, I think you find a balance under Medicare for All that is ideal, which is to say that at the place where innovation matters, i.e. the delivery of health care, um, you still have a private profit motive that may uh, achieve that. On the other hand, where um, innovation uh, doesn't exist, i.e. in the insurance market, insurers haven't innovated their products at all, um, you uh, do away with the inefficiency of the private system. That being said, you know the other point that I'll make here is just to say that most of the innovation that drives healthcare comes out of government-funded research in the first place, and so I, I don't necessarily buy the argument that uh, sustaining private corporations matters um, to uh, achieving innovation. But you know, there are a lot of economists who push back on me, and I'll say, well, then Medicare for all is the perfect middle ground. Um, uh, so I, I think that in that respect, right, I, I think we find a, a world here where. Um, we balance the needs of government to provide every single American with accessible, affordable, equitable healthcare uh, access, and we allow um, innovators in healthcare delivery uh, to continue to innovate and uh, to, to 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 reap the profit rewards on the back end of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've established the advantages of Medicare for all versus other universal healthcare models. Uh, now, say you just got explaining all that to a friend. And their retort is that the government can't be trusted with putting everyone's health care in their hands. You know, they think this would give the government too much power. How would you address these concerns?
1: Well, the the increasingly, the majority of health care is going to be provided by Medicare anyway, given the fact that Medicare provides uh, or insures people over the age of 65. And generally, as you get older, the risk of needing health care goes up. And so we already do it. What we're doing right now is seeding uh, the piece of healthcare that is uh, that, that that really potentially allows us to invest in people's well-being before they they ever get sick uh, to be operated for profit by a bunch of corporations who are redundant in the first place. And so, part of me says, well, you know, if you really can't trust government to provide healthcare, then well, you know, we already do it uh, when it comes to the people who need the most healthcare in our society. Um, that's a bit of a canard. It's usually a a, a talking point on behalf of corporations who want to continue to make billions of dollars on, on the back of people getting sick. And I, I just think that that's a fundamentally uh, immoral thing. And, and we should call that out for what it is.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your reference to that as a canard. Um, and evidence from you know, public surveys uh, done by Pew Research Center says that public approval for universal health care coverage has increased to 63%. Um, this is just one survey but people are definitely in favor, probably more than ever, of implementing a universal health plan. So what do you think is the right strategy to make Medicare for All a reality?
1: Abigail, I'll tell you, um, in our book, uh, we have a whole chapter called Organizing Versus Advertising, because frankly, that's what it's gonna come down to. Um, The reality of it is that the structural features of our healthcare ecosystem are driving more and more people uh, to question why our healthcare system is what it is today, every day, um, and that's because every day the cost of healthcare goes up. The amount of money that is charged to people uh, on the back end, adding literally insult to injury when they get sick in the form of deductibles and copays, that goes up. Um, more and more people have to have annoying, frustrating conversations with some faceless insurance bureaucrat just to get the healthcare paid for that they thought they already paid for, and. Um, And so I think as that happens, uh, it is critical that we build movements to catch folks as their recognition of the injustice, the inequity, and the failure and inefficiency of our healthcare system uh, becomes manifest and obvious to them just in having to engage with the system as it is. But it's going to take us order to organizing. And the folks who make money off the back end of the system, um, they want to tell us that it is impossible. They want to tell us that we can never succeed uh, and that the American people don't want that. And, you know, the, the point that I keep trying to make the folks is well, we are the American people. And if you want it, I promise you there are other people out there who want it too. And our job is to come together to build in numbers, uh, to continue to advocate for a system that doesn't leave us behind for the well being of, of a corporate back pocket, uh, and to, um, to believe in what we can do if we do it together
0: is there anything you think we can learn from other successful movements like marriage equality or the legalization of marijuana that we can apply to Medicare for all to help get there?
1: Yeah. On the one hand, what those movements were able to do that was brilliant was to turn the conversation, the controversy into a uh, fundamental referendum on a value is love, love, love is love. Right. When you say love is love, you're asking is love, love. Yes. Love is love. Um, uh, and, um, and, and, and so they were able to, uh, to, to really drive home a conversation about a, pr- pr- a, 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 a practical value. And for us, the question is, is healthcare a human right? And if it is a human right, then we require, we, we require our government to deliver it on behalf of people. The hard part with this movement versus some of the other movements is that there is not a vested interest on the other side of the conversation that has a financial stake in making sure that we don't succeed, like there is in healthcare, right? There, there, you know, when it came to marriage equality, certainly there was an ideological movement against it. Uh, same with um, with 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 legalizing cannabis, there were ideological oppositions, but they didn't make money on the back end of sustaining the status quo. Whereas when it comes to healthcare, there are large corporations with huge amounts of money to spend to sustain the status quo because that is the source of their 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 um, financial well being, and so. Um, that will make this movement a lot harder uh, to win. Um, That does not mean that it is not winnable. I I believe that it is deeply winnable. I believe that we have to win it. Um, But I do want us to be clear-eyed about what we're up against. Many, many major corporations that have billions of dollars to spend on sustaining a status quo where they monetize us when we get sick.
0: Mm -hmm. So given that a Medicare for All bill is unlikely to have enough votes to pass in the Senate prior to midterms, What then would you suggest to listeners to keep the momentum going?
1: Yeah, movement building isn't linear. And I think a lot of folks sort of ask, well, am I further along than I was yesterday? And if so, then I should keep going. And the truth of the matter is, is that any hard won battle had peaks and it had troughs. And the question of its success was whether or not people found themselves in the troughs and kept walking uphill anyway. Um, And so people look at this and say, wow, we had five great years uh, under the banner of, of a uh, Bernie Sanders um, uh, campaign and, 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 and that allowed us to really make ground. And they look now and say, well, the current president doesn't support Medicare for all, ergo, we have lost. Well, no, this is a local minimum, um, but we have to keep building. And I think that this is the best possible time uh, to be organizing on behalf of Medicare for all. And that's largely because we just came through a pandemic that showed how broken. Our healthcare system really was. It, it uh, took our healthcare system and threw it down. And um, that meant that you know we lost uh, nearly a million Americans. We watched as 15% of Ameri- 15 million Americans lost their health insurance in the first months of a pandemic. 47 hospitals closed down. Um, we saw hospital workers without the basic PPE that they needed through the first several months of the pandemic. And since then being overworked and, and, and uh, understaffed, and um, and all of that in the richest, most powerful country in the world. Uh, the system is clearly manifestly broken. Um, and I think this is the time to, to, to build together, to engage with like-minded people uh, and look for the next opportunity. And it will come, um, even if it's not under this particular administration.
0: What are some specific actions that students can take to get involved and support the movement for Medicare for All?
1: Yeah. So... Um, there are chapters of uh, PNHP, Physicians for a National Health Program, um, uh, organizing across every medical school. There are um, you know, lots of efforts through the American Medical Student Association or efforts to hold the American uh, Medical Association accountable on this issue, um, but get involved, right? Lift your voice, engage with uh, like-minded others, and, um, and decide that you're going to put your shoulder into the
0: work. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this great information about Medicare for All I know a lot of students are interested in universal healthcare of some kind. And so I hope this has helped enlighten and answer questions that individuals may have. Um, And before we close, uh, we'd like to ask our guests a fun fact. So what is a book you would recommend to students right now? Any genre welcomed?
1: There are a lot of them. Um, One that I think is really helpful to understand the the intersection between between um, our society's structural racism and uh, the fight for universal health coverage is The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. She talks about the ways that racism has been weaponized against uh, universal public goods in our country, healthcare being a principal, one of them. Um, So I think it is really helpful in terms of of context for where we are uh, and where we need to
0: go. I can't wait to check it out. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me and share your wealth of knowledge with our listeners.
1: Abigail, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you.